And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, just, uh, you know, just ready to do another series with you. It's been a bit. Well, the last series was bullshit. That's what we figured out. Well, yeah, legit or bullshit? It, it was NFT bullshit. The NFT series, that's right. That was and the before, final verdict. It was bullshit. Yeah, was bullshit. And I think that that really played out. Let's look at now, the NFT market. Yeah. Now you got somebody like Tom Brady who spent $400,000 on a board ape and now wonders why because it's now it's worth like 100000 or some shit. I think now I think apes did okay because they paid dividends. Anyway, we're here to talk about the software <laughs> development life cycle, which is a topic you and I are, are both familiar with as the owners and founders of full scale. And, you know, if you're looking to build a development team, you should know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io because hiring developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. So, uh, Matt, as software founders and entrepreneurs, as well as purveyors of software talent, uh, this we are we are in tune with the software development life cycle. And you know what? What would what are your? You know, we're going to do an overview of that today. So there are largely uh, well, the, the software development life cycle can be a little different for some people because some people embrace this order and this process. Some people don't. Uh, we have a recommended. Uh, a sequence of events uh, that we'll follow in seven episodes, but we're going to do a, an overview on the whole thing. So Matt, when you think about the SDLC, as it is commonly referred, uh, what comes to mind? Um, you know, a lot of times it's all the shit you're supposed to do, but you just don't do like getting yeah. requirements and testing and planning and like all the things and, you know, as developers, I feel like a lot of times we just like, it's like we just grab the hammer and start hammering on shit, you know, and we don't spend enough time in, in planning and, and a lot of the things that we need to do. And, but I think that's inevitable, right? We just start writing code and not spending more time doing requirements and all the other things. Well, I think that that is commonplace in a lot of businesses, you know, because yeah. we've talked a lot over the past, you know, where <laughs> this is going to be, uh, dude, this is almost the 950th episode of Startup Hustle. How about that? Damn. We definitely didn't have a framework for planning that almost I'm, five I'm years ago. I'm excited for the stadium tour when we get to a thousand. I know. Yeah. We got to talk. You talk about prior proper planning. Right? So <laughs> we got to figure out who's going to be the super guest for episode yeah. 1000 because I feel like we need one. Now, as you mentioned, Matt, so many, there, there is a recommended sequence and order of operations for the software development lifecycle. It, it oftentimes doesn't come that way though, because uh, you know, a lot of people that end up having a software platform have started it not for purposes of commercial viability and maybe to solve an internal problem. Like you mentioned, you write some code, you do this, you do that. It kind of turns into something. 
And, you know, it's, it's well, and I think another reason that a lot of people don't embrace the process is they don't know it exists. Well, in, in a lot of ways, these kinds of processes force you to slow down, but sometimes slowing down is what you need to, to do to actually speed up, right? Yeah. Like I, I always liken um, software development to like building a house, right? It's like if you don't have blueprints, if you don't have an interior designer and, and a good architect, a good general contractor, like if you don't have those people, hiring a bunch of people to like carpenters and stuff are of no value. And software development's the same way. You can hire lots of programmers, lots of software developers, but if you don't have a really good product people that understand what the product is supposed to do and how it's supposed to work, you don't have good software architects that can figure out how to you know, make things so they scale and perform well and do all the things. You don't have people to test it. You don't train people how to use the product well. All these little details are super important. It's not just about writing code. There's, there's much more to it to do it the right way, just like building a house. Yeah, it's like like you mentioned with building a house, you, you know, the the contractor doesn't sh show up and it's like, hey, what do you want? Well, I'd like to build a house. Okay, we'll yeah. get that taken care of. You know, you that's have to spend months designing it before. Yeah, well, and and without those plans and without knowing what you need, it's also impossible to estimate. Yeah. How much it might cost, how long it might take, what kind of workforce you need, what kind of permits and planning. So let's, well, let's first go through, as I mentioned, there's a, there's seven steps that are, uh, we're going to say commonly known, and uh, I'm just going to whiz through those and we'll come back and touch on them. We're going to do a separate episode on each one of these. And uh, so, so look for that. And just like I said, we're not going to try to, there's too much of this to get into, to do in one episode. So as far as the actual steps go, it starts with planning and that then defining requirements, design and prototyping, actual software development, testing, deployment, and then operations and maintenance. And in many cases, these steps are cyclical and that they're going to just kind of start over and over and over as you add on or build pieces or other stuff that goes with it. And we put that last step in there as operations and maintenance. Um, you know, I think one thing that, you know, it, for those of you listening, we did a 52 part series on how to start a tech company. And one of the things, you know, when I look at operations and maintenance, so many people call full scale and they want to build a development team and they, their goal is to build a software platform that people subscribe to, but they ask questions like, when will it be done and how much, and, and like, when's it finished? And the answer is never because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite quotes, uh, was from the social network, um, mm -hmm. movie. And I don't know if Zuckerberg ever said this, but like there, there's a uh, software is like fashion. There is no final version. Yeah. And, and I don't know if Zuckerberg really said that in real life, but it was in the movie. And I just always love that quote because it's, it's true about software. There is no final version. And it's like, for those of us who use Gmail for like five years and it said beta for like five years. And then finally they yeah. took the beta tag off, right? Like all software is forever changing, you know, Look at something like Microsoft Office. I mean, it's been able to edit documents for like 20 years or whatever, but they still may keep making new versions of the damn thing because, oh, we have to support the iPad now. Now they have like an iPad version or now they have a web version. It runs in the web browser. and It just continues to change. There, there is no final version of any of this stuff. Yeah, and if you can't operate and maintain what you've built and, you know, people out, I've had people say, well, if it's built well, it shouldn't break. Uh, you can build software really well and, it, and it, it'll still break because things occur outside well, of your ability to control it that make it break like changes in the chrome browser or 
you know, Amazon changing something in their server or something like that, that inherently just cause your shit to break and you have well, very little to say about it. Here's an even bigger problem an even better example. Almost every one of us in our house have sometimes dozens of electronic devices, right? Think of cameras, you know, you know, cameras, computers, routers, cell phones, Wi-Fi, all these different equipment. How many of those have had their firmware upgraded in the last so many years? How many of them have huge security problems that could be hacked into, right? Like you hear weird stories about people hacking into people's security cameras and like getting feeds. So I'm like, you can hack into mine and look at my front yard. I don't care. But there, there's all, you know, security vulnerabilities is a huge one that you have to upkeep the software over time. That's a huge, huge problem. Security. Yeah. Well, let, so let's talk for a second about, so why is structure important when it comes to software development and why, why is following a process a, a key ingredient, Matt? I think it's all about efficiency, right? Like, you know, I, I manage a software development team every day. And if I don't give the team, you know, detailed directions and work of what needs to be done, then they just don't know what to do, right? They, they wake up every day and they don't know what to work on, right? So if I don't give them the requirements, the planning, you know, this is what the product is supposed to do. This is why we're doing it. You know, here's a screenshot. This is, you know, the functionality, all that kind of stuff. If I don't give them those details, they don't know what to do. And so if, if you want to move more efficiently, the more details and direction you can give them, the faster you'll go. I think you can think of it as well if you're going to have a team and you look at something like the military, right? And there's structure and priority and understanding of what needs to be done, who needs to be do it, doing it, who's making certain decisions. That doesn't always mean that person that's in charge makes the best decisions, but someone needs to make a lot of decisions, especially in uh, when you're building something from scratch. You know, so what are we going to build first? What do we need to do first? What do we, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't build a house and the first thing you do is paint the kitchen. There isn't even a kitchen. So, you know, I think when it comes to understanding, I, I often compare software developers to carpenters in the regard yeah. that they operate better when they have a plan, when they understand like this is supposed to be 12 feet long and eight feet high and the boards are 16 inches apart and stuff like that. And that may, and when you have an understanding of, of certain, you know, product requirements and, you know, you even look at things like the appearance of it. So you'll have brand standards and you'd be shocked at like how much you can slow yourself down or end up with like a really wonky product that has buttons that are eight different colors and stuff like that. So some of it's just simple things. It's like, you know, we're going to use this color code of green. We're going to use these kind of buttons. We're going to use this. We're going to use that. Here's the toolkit. And now let's get moving. Now, one of the things that I think is important is much like we've talked about with business plans is you're going to discover when you're building software or any kind of product like this, you're going to just get any, depending on who you are, it's different every time, but you're going to get somewhere down the timeline and you're going to realize something big that you hadn't considered that you didn't think about, or you're going to get some type of user feedback that's going to, that's going to need, need some kind of agile move or pivot. So I think when it comes to the, to the SDLC, it's, it's important to know that like it, it's going to change a little bit along the way as well. Cause that's just kind of the nature of making things better. Well, and the hard part as well is in the early, in an early startup or, or an early project you're working on, 
a lot of times you're just trying to make things work, right? And so, you know, one of the challenges I have, you know, at, at my company today is like, okay, this thing works. But now that we have like 200 customers that use it, it doesn't perform well. It doesn't scale well. Yeah. Like, you know, I have to synchronize this data from Google and it takes 10 minutes to do the synchronization, but I got to do it 200 times. Like yep. we have to design this in a different way, right? And so that that's where some planning up front comes in to somebody who's really good at software architecture can see ahead and be like, hey, if we're successful, it's going to be important that we design this in a different way. But the challenge is if it takes a lot longer to develop it, it's like you may never ship the product and you may never get it released because you spend all this time trying to over-architect it. So that's always the challenge with design and scale. And if you think about building a house, it could be the same thing. It's like, oh, we're, we're going to build this platform here. And like just building a platform is like no big deal. We just build it. But then you realize later like, oh, uh, like a thousand people have to stand on this thing and it needs to support like thousands of pounds of weight. It's like, oh, well, we didn't know that. And so there, there there's always architecture decisions that are a struggle. And a lot of times th those are always the battle for companies and developers is like, how much do we over architect things versus do we just make the shit work and get it done? And, and the, there is no right answer. It's always difficult. One of my favorite things though, about software planning and design is telling the developers what not to do. And I feel like that's one of the most important things. And if, if we liken it to building a house, it's like I'm remodeling my kitchen and uh, the general contractor forgot to tell the painter that we're going to tile the wall. So they paint the wall. It's like we wasted our time painting the damn wall. We're, we're going to tile that, right? And software development is the same way. Like a lot of times you have to tell developers, like, we're not going to do this, this, and this. Don't waste your time on this, this, and this. And that's one of the, the biggest things that is always overlooked is telling them what not to do. Yeah, I think uh, to just kind of add on to that, you know, so many, so many, platforms are data centric. And for example, it's like deciding on a, a centralized database structure. So you don't end up with nine different places where info is kept. Yeah. And, and that, and what happens there is when you, 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 such a big buzzword is the term scalable. Well, what I mentioned where you have data in nine different places means that it might not match or, it, or you end up with like server heavy stuff. Cause like you, you mentioned like this doesn't work for 200 people, but it worked for five Yeah, because at five people, it might've been searching an entire database. So you can think of it for those of you listening that might not be technical. You can think of a database as like an Excel sheet. Well, if it's like 900 columns wide and you know, 10,000 tall, and you just need to find one thing in one column, but you're, you're coding in the way, the way you've set it up searches the entire database table that might actually work when there's five people in there, but when 200 people get in there, it might just overwhelm your server. And yep. these are, and these are like simple architecture things that, you know, and, and I think it's normal to expect to have to tune some of that stuff up along the way. And that's why, having some expert people is helpful, Matt. And, you know, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. And, you know, Matt, that's that's we could talk about that for a second because, you know, Fullscale, we, well, we had a, a, we were coming up on a hundred employees and realized that there's no out of the box product. There's nothing that we could buy that would really help us manage and run and 
and keep our operations efficient. So we had to build, we build our own platform at full scale, but we did that after the company was already well underway. Right. And, right. and some of that has, you talk about this really agile approach. Well, it needed to, to be able to be used by our employees, by our clients, and then prospective clients, as well as like our admin. And by nature, we're a remote team. Well, we were in an office and then the pandemic made us not in an office. And that's, you know, so these, the, the requirements for what your software might need to do can change dramatically over time. And then also the resources that are available. So you, you mentioned like, what, where is the SL, uh, the SDLC different for different, different people. If you're a bootstrap startup, just trying to get an MVP built, you just need to make sure that shit works. Right. To, to, to some degree, some of these problems um, don't happen until you get to some degree of success. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. some of them are fun or are, are fatal mistakes. It's like, oh, the type of technology we used uh, didn't work or we over engineered something. We never got the product shipped. You know, those are fatal mistakes that just can completely kill you. But then there are other things like the, the examples I had at my company. It's like, hey, it was fine. Yeah, it didn't perform very well, but it still works. We're able to make it work. We, we, we kind of band aid it together. Nobody knows it's a problem. Our customers don't know it's a problem and we can fix it later. Like inevitably, there's always a lot of those things. And you're just never going to know what they are. Like when Facebook launched, they didn't know they were going to have a billion users eventually. And you can't plan for that. You just have no idea. And the things that could be a problem, there's no way you can even foresee some of them, right? Until you get there. So it's just an inevitable thing for some of it of just always fixing shit. So how do you go about preparing for the SDLC? Like, where do you start? Just sit down and talk about like, you know, this is the planning phase, obviously, we're going to get into that in the next episode. But when you talk about the whole entire process, like, do you take it one step at a time? Or do you get all the way? Obviously, you can't get to the seventh step in operations and maintenance, like right away, but you could still you could still give some projection or idea of what you might need. I, I would say anybody who creates software does all of these things. To some degree, whether or not they do them very good or very bad, they're all over all over the place, right? They 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 basically have to do all of these steps to to complete the work. But usually they're really good at say three or four of them, and you know, one or two they're average and one or two they're really bad at, would be my guess. And every every team is gonna be different. So for example, you talk about like the operations perspective. There may be some products out there where they're really good at operations. So think about we're in, in Kansas City, and, and most people don't know this, but there are nuclear missile silos all over the Midwest, dating back to World War II. The same software that runs those today ran them 50 years ago. They are very much in operations mode, and none of these other steps are happening at all, right? So there, And there's other software out there that's like an ATM or whatever it is. It's like it's been around forever. There's not any planning, designing, new development, testing, deployments, not doing any of that. They're only doing operations. And there and there is there is software like that, but any any most software these days, as we said, there, there's no final version, and they're always kind of you know evolving through these steps. But some companies are really good at it at, at certain pieces, and some companies are just really bad at all. And it's really impossible to be perfect at all of them. I, th I think you look and you you need to look at what you're wanting to build and determine like the two the two or three most important key ingredients of that, and work on getting those a plus. Like make your plan around that. I think too many people are trying to build, they're trying to be good at 15 things before they're good at a couple. 
And, and you can really and, and, water down your timeline and your your resources and just basically run out of them. So like, you know, you look at something like Gigabook and it's like, okay, it should be able to take an appointment. Like if it doesn't do that, then that's like the key ingredient. It's a booking site. So it should be able to take an appointment. And if you if you can't get good at that, then you have no business building something else. It's like the same thing you, you use Microsoft Word like as an example, if you can't save your document, that's a, a, a big deal. You know, so, you know, these are some of the things that you need to look at first, but I think you need to try to figure out the pillars of what you're building and get really good at that. Cause the same way you build a house, you put, you put it on a foundation and if the foundation shitty or it crumbles, the rest of the house is going to go with it. Well, another good example of this is for example, in here we have like, say, steps like planning and and testing. Maybe those steps are not important at all if it's just an application that's used internally. Like for example, rocks, like we didn't used to have that customer facing, we only used it internally. So if there's some kind of issue with it, we can just deal with it. Our employees can just deal with it and we'll fix it. Now, however, if we're building software that flies airplanes, testing's pretty damn important because we don't want the plane to fall out of the sky, right? So the type of software that you build can also change the importance of some of these. Things like deployment. Deployment seems like a simple one, but imagine you're building software that controls missile air defense and you need to deploy software for missile air defense all over Ukraine or Russia right now or something. Can you imagine the logistics of deploying that software? So different kinds of software have dramatically different circumstances and and problems. Like deploying software like on site somewhere like that is dramatically different than having a web application, how you deploy or a mobile application. It depends on the type of software. Well, you talk about deployment and testing just recently, there was a crypto platform that got to like $200 million worth of crypto stolen from it because they pushed a, an update Yeah, that had a software issue in it. And you could literally just take a little snippet of code and just replace yep. that one part of it and just pull money right out of it. Yeah. And, and that's that a perfect was- example. That was a deployment and testing issue right there. Testing is more important than anything when it comes to blockchain stuff because any any mistake and yeah, people just can hack it. So in surveys of people that do this stuff, there you go. That's scientific as hell right there. Uh, project, uh, Project management fails most often because there aren't clear goals. And I think that's a big thing with what you're trying to do here. Like, first off, define what the goal is. We are trying to build a platform that does this and does this and does this. And our goal is to be through certain parts of the cycle or certain certain timelines. And, you know, like, Matt, you always say people just want to know, are we ahead or behind? Yes. And what you just mentioned here is about about clear goals isn't necessarily an engineering problem. It's a product problem right? It's like, what do we want the product to do? You know, who, you know, who is our target customer? What are the features of the product? You know, all that kind of stuff, right? The engineers don't necessarily care. They're like, just tell us what you wanted to do and we'll do it. But the, the, the goals part of it, um, one of the companies I previously worked at, this was a dramatic problem because just from a product perspective, like the owners, the owners of the company could not figure out what do we want the product to do? Like who are our competitors? Like what 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 is clearly what we're trying to do? And it just freezes the whole company, freezes the engineering team. Like the engineering team can't do anything. It's like they don't know what they want to do. Like that is the most fatal mistake from an engineering perspective. It's just not having goals, like not even knowing what you're trying to do or accomplish. 
Yeah, I feel like that this is that the goals are also need to be fluid because, um, you know, I see a lot of non technical people trying to set technical goals. And it's difficult to have an understanding of how quickly certain things are going to be done. And I want to say from a leadership perspective, you know, you all, you, as a founder, you're often going to be like, we need to get this done in two months, but it's six months worth of work. And, um, you know, that, I mean, Warren Buffett says nine women don't make a baby in a month. So, you know, there are certain parts of building software just because you have more people doesn't mean it's going to go faster. In fact, more people oftentimes slows things down. So, um, yeah. one of the things in the very beginning phase of a lot of this, I mean, unless you have a high level of expertise and you have a high level of understanding of the people on your team and what they're capable of and how quickly they work, um, timelines are going to be very difficult to establish. I mean, they're hopeful at best when you, when you go to start something brand new. Well, you, you mentioned goals and, and the big thing there is the constant changing of goals. That's the thing that's a huge killer. It's like, oh, this is the most important thing. And the next week it's some other thing. It's like, we never get anything accomplished. Like th that is super killer to software development teams. You'll get that, that feedback from a lot of employees at a lot of places that the, the it's a constant moving target. Now, if you work at a startup, that's kind of the way it goes on a lot yeah. of days. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times you have to kind of, that's if you talk about, you know, you're working on a plan for this, for plan B, where plan A is wrapping up, but you often find yourself having to pull everything away from plan B to go do something to plan A. And that's going to mess with your timelines. It's going to, and it confuses people. There's a lot of people that just want to show up and do what they need. They want to know what they need to do and not have to constantly be changing. People don't handle change well. Yep. All right. So, you know, as, as mentioned, this is our overview of the software development life cycle. We're going to do uh, an additional episode about planning, defining requirements, designing and prototyping the soft software development in general, testing deployment and operations and maintenance. And that's going to make eight, Matt. That's going to, now, do you think this is going to be, so in true fashion, when we did our 52 part series about how to start a tech company, we delivered that two months late. <laughs> I mean, it's, that was on time. It, I felt, yeah, it, you know, we've often said that it's going to take twice as long and maybe cost three times as much. So I look at that. We were 10 months early. 20% over budget. That's pretty good. Yeah. And that's, take that's it. another thing too. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that's not in here is, is budgeting. Yeah. The estimation, like estimating how long it will take to do something and it's impossible it is nearly impossible and and even as a development so you know i manage a development team and sitting here today it's really difficult even now to estimate things and part of that is is it's just really <laughs> hard to estimate velocity like how much work do we get done in a week like how do you scientifically measure that and then when you're doing planning somehow measure the planning and know how it's going to align to how fast you do work like calculating capacity and velocity are yeah like mythical creatures when it comes to managing a development team it's very difficult. well that's why that's why getting people that know what they're doing matters and you know if you need to hire software engineers testers or leaders full scale can help we have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts including product managers 
and software development managers and people that know not just coders, although that is what most of our employees do. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, or leaders at Fullscale. We specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. And yeah, so almost 300 people working diligently for the success of our clients, man. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of software. Pretty amazing. They get to work on some really yeah. cool things. That's what yeah, always impresses me the most is, is what they work on. And, and honestly, that's one of my favorite things about software is just all the different kinds of projects that exist and all the different things you, you get to work on. And that's why the, SDL, the, the SDLC is so dramatically different from one company to another, right? So like at full scale, we have a company that like flies drones and needs to loan, uh, land drones in the middle of a field somewhere because it tracks like crop growth or something, right? Like how the SDLC of that software is dramatically different from some like mobile app versus enterprise software or whatever. It's just all so different. That's part of what makes it fun. Well, where we see the the SDLC really flexed and used is with the bigger box people that we work with, meaning like sure. they have big teams and there is no other way to plan large scale projects. And then, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are, a lot of companies are trying to deliver a, a final product to their client. And mm -hmm. with that, they need to get, you know, so they're going in and like, you know, we have clients that are doing this or like whether it's a feature that they're trying to add or something they're trying to build or deliver, they really have to lean into the SCLC and just, and, and really, and really kind of get an idea about, and you know, that they will be the first people to tell you that there is nothing exact about the timeline. Timelines are impossible. They are really, really difficult. And you know, also you talk about velocity. It's like, you know, you can, it's, well, how many tickets were completed? Now that doesn't really matter because a service, a, 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 a work ticket could be like fix this button and the next one could be build six different things that this button does. And that those aren't equal tasks in most and, cases. And, and what the thing that is, is more common is the fixing the button seems like a simple thing seems trivial, but then it turns then into like not. a three week project because of some nuance problem and yep. nobody can figure out how to do it. And I've spent, you know, 40 hours on stack overflow trying to find the random dude who had this problem before. Like that is the life and day of a software developer is trying to fix needles on a haystack sometimes. And you just, you can't account for that when it comes to velocity. It's just so yep. hard. Yep, uh, we I dealt agree. with that with, we're trying to been, deploy something to AWS for three weeks and it come down to a port mapping configuration that we totally overlooked and, and couldn't figure out for three weeks. And then, then we found it, five minutes of work, finally solved it, but it took three weeks to find that five minute fix. That wasn't like, five minutes worth of work. That was three weeks yeah. worth of work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating yeah. though, but that's, that's what we do. It's just crazy. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, there's uh, knowing where to hit, hit the nail with the hammer yeah. is, uh, I mean, that's still why I lean back towards experience. And, you know, so many people are trying to build stuff cheap. You're going to end up with what you paid for. You know, like the average developer at full scale has seven years of experience and it shows. But, you know, there's no way you're, you're never going to find someone that knows how to do everything you need done, like immediately. Like that person doesn't exist. Or if they do, they are, they are like a unicorn. They are almost mythical. So like you mentioned, like you got to learn how to do stuff and that's, you, you talk about stability and that's, that's one of the things that I think is important is 
as gaining some domain knowledge about what you're doing and not trying to do it with a rotating cast of people. Cause you know, like, I think that's a mistake a lot of people make in planning. They're like, oh, well, we'll shrink this team down to two people. And if we need more, we'll add more. Well, that takes time. And it's like, you know, having, having people that really understand where the things are that, you know, like someone that understands what has been built and how it's built can go in and fix it or support it or change it or explain it with remarkable speed. Like you mentioned, taking three weeks to figure out a five minute thing. If yeah. the person that knew that or acquired that knowledge is now gone, that means the next person's going to have to take three weeks to figure it out again. Anyway, these are all things. You're absolutely right. Gonna, these are all things that we're going to talk about in coming weeks, Matt. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you get, I'm going to let you go. Cause I know you've got a lot of planning and defining of requirements for our next couple episodes. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.